Thank you, Kelly. Amen. Good preaching, sister. <clears throat> Amen. In God we trust. Have you heard that before? You look in your wallet, or your pocket, or your purses, you'll find that on the dollars, and fives, tens, twenties. <clears throat> find him on your coin, that phrase, in God we trust. This has been our national motto since 1953. Actually, 56, excuse me. Since 1956, this has been our national motto. That's been as long as I've been alive. Now you do the math. I'm not going to help you on that one. That phrase, in God we trust, has appeared on the U.S. currency, all U.S. currency, since 1957. In God we trust. <clears throat> you may know that there are ongoing efforts by certain groups to take this motto off of our money and to remove it from the federal buildings around the country. As a matter of fact, just last month, the nation's largest group of atheists and agnostics filed a lawsuit seeking to block an architect from engraving on the, the new Capitol Center, the Capitol Visitor Center in Washington, D.C., the words, In God We Trust and the, and the Pledge of Allegiance. This same group is also challenging the constitutionality of the National Day of Prayer. How's that kind of stuff make you feel? Angry? Nervous? Scared? Sad? In God we trust. In 2007, the U.S. Mint began to release a series of coins similar to the 50-state quarters program that was released in, um, in 1999. These new coins are the presidential dollar coins. You may have seen them, heard about them. There was a new feature on these coins. The, the motto of the, on the, from the great seal of the United States, E Pluribus Unum, and the national motto, in God we trust, was on the side or the rim, the, the edge of those coins, not the face. Now you understand, they didn't take the motto off the coins. They moved it from the face to the edge. Well, just by doing that, there was such an outcry to Congress that in 2008, Congress voted to put the motto back on the face of the coin and take it off of the rim. Starting with the ninth presidential coin that comes out this year in the likeness of Benjamin or William Henry Harrison. You know, you, know, you know what people were saying? Don't mess with the motto. In God we trust. Well, let me be honest with you. <clears throat> Whenever I read about that, Whenever I hear people like us talking about that, getting all up in arms, I always ask myself this question. Do we really trust in God? I mean, think about it. 
the United States of America, as a nation, do we really trust in God? It seems to me that the absolute best proof that someone really, truly trusts in God is when they trust in God faithfully through difficult times. It's always been that way. The rubber meets the road for people like us when the times get tough and we remain faithful. In God, we trust. You know, everything we talk about, everything we believe, everything we read in the Scriptures, everything we preach about, is it all still true when we suffer? You know, looking back at that first century church, the two things that drew thousands of people to Christ during that movement of God, the two things that, that most drew those people to Christ was, first of all, the obvious radical transformation of their heart and life. Those first century Christ followers were transformed right before their family and friends' eyes. And because they were transformed, verses like this came out of their movement. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all things have become new. You see, the, the people in the first century could not deny it. Here's Samuel over here. I knew Samuel when he was a little boy. I knew him when he was a teenager. He was a terror as a teenager. I knew Samuel when he was a young person. And I know him. I lived around him. And that was then. But this Samuel over here, this Samuel, what has happened to you? I wonder, in that first century, I mean the whole century, how many times this phrase in whatever language was said, what happened to you? Because you see, what, what drew so many people was there was this obvious radical transformation and they were different. The second thing that drew thousands of people to Christ in that first century was how they handled suffering, pain, and persecution. How they suffered and yet still believed. I mean, come on. They're talking about this God of all creation, this powerful God, this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ who raised from the dead, and then they get persecuted? I mean, what didn't make sense was persecution didn't hurt their faith. It made it stronger. James says it best. Their attitude toward persecution. James says it best in chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Listen to this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you get a raise at work. No. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you drive home in this new car. No. I guess it would be new chariot for them. But No, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. Of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature 
and complete, not lacking anything. How do you get there? Suffer, at least in part. You see, radical transformation, it was obvious, and this godly perspective on suffering is what, more than anything else, drew thousands to Christ. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I wonder why. Well, at least in part, is because of their motto. In God, we trust. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't on their money. I don't even know if they said it that way. But I'm for sure that it was engraved on their hearts. And they lived it daily. In God, we trust. They didn't have to say it. They didn't have to write it on their money. Or etch it on their buildings. They said it with their daily lives. No matter what. In God, we trust. Last Sunday... We touched on this subject a little bit on how God's people deal with suffering. We looked at the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, on, on his attitude towards suffering and persecution. I want to read that for us again. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If I can find it. Verses 7 through 10. Listen to this. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. You see, what was happening was, Paul was being successful. He was successful in winning people to Christ. He was successful in planting churches. He was successful in helping the church grow. And it was going to his head. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these great things that were happening, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. I begged God, set me free. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. You've got to be kidding me. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul's whole life, after, after his miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, his whole life was focused entirely on God's plan for him in his life. It was focused entirely for God's will for him. Every cell in his body was, was just straining to do God's will. Suffering, persecution, Paul knew a lot about that. But it did not change his focus on God. His focus, every cell in his body straining to do God's will. When he suffered, it didn't change that. Remember when Paul and Silas were, were beaten and 
put, thrown into prison and their backs were bleeding in that Philippian jail. Remember that? What were they doing? They were belly aching. They were singing songs at midnight, praise to the Lord. It just strengthened his faith. Paul says in Philippians chapter, chapter 3, what Paul is saying is suffering helped him achieve God's goal for his life. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Christ. Try that on for size, brothers and sisters, young brothers and sisters. I want to know Christ. You know what? I know the batting averages of the Chicago Cubs. You know what I want to know? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Paul said with every cell in his body, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And, he said, the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of people like you and me. Becoming like Him in His death. See, there was something about Paul. There was something about Paul that I don't even know how to describe it. He longed so much to be close to God that he even embraced suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to suffer. Do you? I want to avoid it at all cost, if I can. The problem with us human beings is we can't avoid it. Sooner or later, suffering is going to come in your life and mine. And when it does, what are we going to do? Are we going to roll over and play dead? Are we going to get angry with God? Are we going to give up? No. In God, we trust. After the service last week, someone came up to me and said, Pastor Chuck, you know what? It really is a renewing of our minds, isn't it? And I said, absolutely. It is a renewing of our minds. It is God transforming us from the inside out and then untwisting our minds from, from the thinking ways of the world to, to the kingdom mindset. And part of that, that retooling of our mind is how we deal with suffering. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of our mind. It is a whole new way of thinking about the cares of this world. And it comes from God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And he prayed passionately for God to remove that thorn. To set him free. And he didn't. God didn't remove it. But as Paul was praying, Lord, set me free. Lord, set me free. Lord, take this thorn away from me. Three times he prayed passionately. There came a point when he prayed that he had to make a decision. And all of us do when it comes to suffering. We have to make a decision. And that decision is, is this passionate praying for deliverance going to develop into self-pity? 
Or are we going to move on in Christ and allow Him to really move in us and through us and use what is happening negatively in our lives to get from here to there? There was a point when Paul's passionate praying for suffering changed from set me free to use it to make me into the person you want me to be. Sometimes in our lives, we can focus so much on what's wrong in our lives that our enemy uses that to make us less effective in the kingdom. God wants us to walk boldly by His grace through our suffering. I know it's not easy, but with God, somebody say it, all things are possible. God said to Paul, and He says to us today, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wait a minute, God. Do you mean that this thorn, this pain, this suffering, this inconvenience unleashes God's power in me? Well, yes. Once Paul got that, he turned it around and said, okay then, I'm going to boast about my weakness. I'm going to underline it. I'm going to emphasize it. I'm going to bring it up in conversations. You know why? Because I want it to be about Him and not about me. I am even going to delight in my suffering for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Or then I am most Effective. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In God we trust. Radical transformation and an attitude towards suffering that makes no human sense. I delight in it for Christ's sake. The remaining few minutes that we have together, I just want to mention three reasons why you and I suffer. Why do we suffer? What's the deal with that? I mean, we're trying to serve God. We're trying to be faithful. We suffer. Why do we suffer? The first thing is we suffer because of sin. We suffer because of sin in our world. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We suffer. Everyone suffers on the face of the earth to some extent because of sin. Sin is a universal problem. It came into our world, obviously, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to sin. When they did, it opened up Pandora's box, and sin corrupted everything. It always does. It always will. Even a little sin, a little bit of sin, ruins your life and mine. We suffer because of sin. We suffer because of the choices our first parents made. That's true. And that suffering, for the most part, will continue till Jesus comes. Did you know that there, was no, there were no natural disasters before sin? 
Did you know that it didn't even rain on this earth until Noah? Did you know there was never rain on the face of the earth until Noah? Before that, God watered the earth with a heavy dew on the ground. So there were, there were natural disaster type things that happened as a result of sin. There was hunger and poverty as a result of sin. There was, there was violent acts because of sin. All of that will stick around to some extent until Jesus comes. But there's also the kind of sin that you commit and I commit. The sins are personal sins. God, by His grace, can do a lot about that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We suffer because of sin. But by God's grace, He can eliminate much of that suffering if we open our hearts to Jesus Christ. We might not be able to do a whole lot about the sin in this world, but we sure can stop adding to it. Somebody say amen. Have you ever said this? Oh, Jesus, save me. Have you ever said that and really meant it? Jesus, save me from my sins. We suffer because of sin. We also suffer because of the bad choices we make. I was going to say stupid choices, but I didn't think that was appropriate from the pulpit. But we suffer because of some bad choices we make. You know, sometimes people's lives are a mess. And you, you start investigating, how did you get here? And it was because of a series of bad choices. You know how you get out of a mess caused by a series of bad choices? You start making a series of good choices. It takes a while, often takes longer than we would like it to, but you have to turn your life around, your path around, your choices around, and start making God-directed good choices. We suffer because of some of the choices that we make along the way. Perhaps we hang around with the wrong crowd. Well, stop doing that. What do you expect? Insisting on marrying the wrong person. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Letting your mind and eyes wander to the wrong places. All of that causes us to suffer, and all of it can be avoided. We suffer because of bad choices. So what should we do? We should take practical good steps, good choices, to turn our lives around. Perhaps if we're in a financial bind, well, we should consider downsizing our house maybe. Or getting a car that we can afford. Or selling some stuff that we don't need. You know, the stuff, the dusty, you know, they sell some of that stuff. Or take Financial Peace University that happens from time to time in this church. To take steps to get out of debt. Perhaps we should stop letting the wrong crowd influence us and start influencing them to Christ. What do you think? Perhaps... We should marry the right person or remain single. Somebody say amen. Or perhaps we should ask God 
by His grace, to keep our mind and our eyes out of the gutter. The bad choices that we make that get us into a mess, it's time to start making good choices. The third thing, and finally, the reason we suffer, one reason is, well, there's sin, there's bad choices, and then we suffer because God uses it, doesn't cause it. God uses it to mold us into the likeness of His Son. God knows that everybody in this world, one time or another, will suffer. So He's chosen to use it to mold us and make us into the likeness of His Son. Or another way to say it, to help us get from here to there. Did you know that God is more concerned about what you become in Christ than He is about your personal comfort? Much more concerned about who you are in Christ. It's time for you and me to emphasize that. Okay, God, why is this happening in my life? Would you teach me, show me, help me to learn what it is that you want me to learn? A number of weeks ago, a guy came up to me before tea time. He'd lost his job. I was going, oh man, I'm so sorry. I said, I heard that a few days. I've been praying for you. I'm so sorry. You know what he said to me? I'm not. I said, what? You're what? Huh? He said, no, well, I, you know, I am. But really right now, this morning, I'm not sorry. Because you know what, Pastor Chuck? I've been praying that God would give me ways to draw closer to Him. I couldn't think of any. I mean, I was busy, all this other stuff. So I said, God, would you help me find ways to draw close to Christ? And guess what? Lost my job, tea time comes up. So he said, you know what? God is using this to answer my prayer. I need this, Pastor Chuck. Let me just ask you, brothers, sisters, you out of a job? You out of a job? Why don't you use this time? Redeem this time to draw closer to God. Why not? This could be, okay, this could be an answer to your prayer. This situation that you're in right now, God could use it to make you into the person that you can't even imagine that you can be. We embrace Him. We embrace what's happening in your life and say with me, God, would you help me understand? Renew my mind. Lord, would you help me to get from here to there? Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. We suffer because of sin. Because of bad choices. And because God uses what comes our way to mold us and make us into the likeness of His Son. My thorn came to keep me from being conceited. Perhaps your suffering has come and God wants to use it in your life and mine to bring you to new heights with Him. In God we trust. Some of us here, we hear about people taking that off our money. We're ready to fight. Fighting words. In God, we trust. But let me just say, that phrase, on our money and etched on our building, is meaningless unless it is lived out in your life and mine on a daily basis. The phrase means nothing unless you and I back it up with our lives. In God, we 
trust. When you live like that, he says with, God says well, like he did with Paul. He's reaching his hand out and says, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace. Father, so many of us desperately need a touch from you. Lord, would you fill us? Would you mold us? Would you make us use what's happening in our lives now to mold us into the likeness of your Son? As we go through this suffering, Lord, that's so painful and heavy, as we go through it, will you help us to keep our eyes on Jesus? We need you, Lord. We need you now. Would you stand with me? If someone's here today and really needs someone to pray for them about this suffering, just come. I'd be, I'd be privileged to pray for you as we sing. Let's sing together.